You are listening to Cut Jib Newsletter Speaks, the podcast. This is Series 5, Episode Number 5 for Friday, uh, October the 20th, 2023. It's JJ Septon, along with my good friend, co-blogger and colleague, CBD, and co-host, I should say, too. And we are joined once again after a very long and, I believe me, unintentional absence uh, of... of uh, one of the, the our, our favorite friends and, and historians and pundits, and he's the editor and co-founder, I believe, of thepipeline.org, the great and erudite Michael Welsh. Michael Welsh. Michael, Michael. Walsh. Who the hell is Michael Welsh? But well, Michael Walsh, not- anyway. Michael Walsh will be here anyway, so he'll, he'll substitute. Anyway, gentlemen, uh, pardon my faux pas, and welcome yeah. to the show. That's okay. That That's how you pronounce my name in Ireland. In many parts of Ireland, it would be pronounced oh. Welsh. Oh, okay. So, yeah, just like Clark and Clerk, you know, if everything's backwards in the British Isles, let's face it. Well, yes. we're, uh, you should probably withhold judgment about uh, the pleasure with which you're going to, uh, uh, well, anyway, I'm, I'm going to hold Mr. Walsh uh, personally responsible for the uh, anti-Semitism of Ireland. Uh-oh. So uh, we'll see how he feels about us in an hour. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll, I'll try to defend it as much as I can, guys. That's, I know that's why I'm here. So, wait a minute, defend yourself or defend the <laughs> hit me with hit me with your best shot. Okay, I'm done, ready. done, and done. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, the twelve thousand ton gorilla in the room is uh, the the greatest uh, mass mass pogrom against Jews since uh, mm-hmm. nineteen nineteen forty five, and uh, uh, and what's going on? We just had. Our, our wonderful president, uh, so-called Joey Spongebrain Shitspants, who took the mm-hmm. opportunity to rally the American people in defense of the Ukraine. The Ukraine, of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do you expect, really? I mean, there's a headline in the New York Times today. Now, try to hang on to your hats, boys. It says that many Jews are now astonished that the progressive left has turned against them. They cannot believe this. And I just put... <laughs> I posted at least surprising headline of the millennium. I mean, honest to God, how many times do you have to learn this lesson? Seriously. You know, I I have, obviously I'm Jewish, and I have many, many uh, liberal Jewish relatives, all of whom are stupid when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, And I have to admit that um, some of them are astonished. And I, I <laughs> really, you know, I, I mean, I, come on. <laughs> I know it's unbelievable. It's this has been going on. You know, I, I, let's see, when I first came of age and realized that uh, people hated me because I'm a Jew, that was probably 1980 or so uh, in uh, glorious Northern California, hmm. uh, the, the home of liberalism in America. And uh, the, the expressions of anti Semitism were overt from the left. And, uh, I was surprised, but my excuse, of course, was that I was 18 years old or 20 years old. So, uh, you know, 75-year-old grandmothers have no excuse at this point. Well, if you look back at the history of the Soviet Union, the Bolshevik, the the first group of Bolsheviks was heavily Jewish, as you know. And they were purged pretty damn quick by Stalin once he got a chance to do it. So that might have been a tip-off right there, you know, around 1925 or so, that uh, your ostensible ideological allies are going to turn on you at some point. And I think we're seeing that today, frankly. Absolutely. The, the, you know, the shocking thing, and, and everybody always, one of the, the horrible memes about, uh, about Jews 
against them, I should say, and, and libels is that, uh, you, know, you know, Judaism and communism, the Jews gave us communism and so on and so forth. The truth of things are is that because of the centuries of, of anti-Semitism and pogroms in Russia and Ukraine and that area against Jews, the only reason that they, they revolted against the czar was to was to try to better their lives in some sort of a communal way that at least minimally was fashioned after some precepts, uh, you know, in, in Judaism. But of yes. course, that can so, so totally warped and twisted over the years that, you know, the, the only thing Jewish about about uh, these or commun- or Jewish about these people is just their birth. They're totally like Karl Marx and George Soros and everybody else. They're about as alien and, and non-Jewish as uh, as you can imagine. So that's just that's the bitter irony of the whole thing. Well, you do get that from reading. I've spent a lot of time with on this subject. Uh, you do get that from reading the early Bolsheviks things. They're very obviously motivated by uh, elements of Torah and elements of traditional Jewish practice, although many of them were completely irreligious or a-religious at that point, but the cultural effect of it was still strong on them. And yet they couldn't overcome. I mean, if you look, uh, uh, Trotsky was Jewish, uh, Zinoviev was Jewish. An awful lot of those guys were, were Jews. And then they were astonished when the Slavs, who hate the Jews, let's face it, and always have, suddenly turned on them. It's like the frog and the scorpion. You go, what? You didn't expect this? And, and and they were left out in the cold, that's for sure. Well, that love for progressivism goes back farther. Um, I think Norman Poderitz wrote about the um, the antipathy of, of, of European conservatism to the Jews. And, of mm. course, they're going to embrace the enemies of their enemies. Um, that the, those new friends or the, the so-called friends uh, turned out to be rabidly anti-Semitic in their own right is something that, that speaks – uh unfortunately quite poorly about uh the the historical jewish perspective on others politics Mm. Um, we're lousy at politics we're lousy at judging other people's politics and you can see that um you know yes in the in the 17th century uh but you can also see in the 21st century as as we are seeing today it's interesting i was researching for my new book which is uh about to land back on my desk from my editor at St. Martin, and it will be out next year. Uh, among other things that came across my purview was uh, the origins of the word anti-Semitism. And it really isn't used at all until the late 19th century and was co- coined by a Jewish guy. Uh, at that point, it was meant to mean anti-ethnically Jewish, not anti-religiously Jewish, but anti-ethnically Jewish to, I don't know, I don't know why or any, anything about the, the the background of this, but that's how it came into the language. And, and many Jews were opposed to it because it didn't include the religious. They felt we're not an ethnic group, we're a religious group. There's many kinds of Jews, Sephardic and, and Hasidic and uh, Ashkenazic and all that sort of thing it's very complicated we live in a world now where nothing is complicated it's a or z that's it there's nothing in between it there's no explaining it there's no bothering to understand it and it 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 makes both sides hard very quickly i would say as someone who never met a jew until i was 17 years old and i went to the eastman school of music in rochester new york from growing up in the in the west in california and hawaii uh uh, it was a whole new world, and most of my friends 
ever since then have been have been Jewish. But sometimes I think there's too much sensitivity on the Jewish community side to what might be called cultural reflexive anti-Semitism. For example, the British, the English, I, we, Irish, we distinguish ourselves from those guys, are reflexively anti-Semitic. And yet the Jews love, you don't think Yiddish, stress British, love them, love them, love them. The love is not reciprocated. No, not at all. And yet it's it. you still have this, this misbegotten, I think, notion that maybe if we just try hard enough, they're going to like us. But you know, as I said in my column last week, the leopard doesn't change the spots. You just have to face the facts. That's fascinating Sorry. to me because, you know, uh, I, I have uh, family connection to the uh, the Irish uh, longshoreman in, in um, Hoboken mm. who smuggled arms that my wife's great-grandfather collected from uh, his business partners and shipped to Israel. Or shipped to Palestine for the for the Jews, and the Irish longshoremen were thrilled to to help out. Not because they mm. were particularly uh, Semitic in their in their views. What they liked is sticking it to the British. And, that's that's all we think about. That, yeah, that's and, the but, origin of. This but that's whole that's a powerful that's a powerful thing. And and mm. why the Irish today are are so so anti-Israel is mm. beyond me. It's it simply doesn't make any sense. The, no, this, it's very simple. It's very simple. They see the Palestinians as them, and they see the Israelis as the English. Everything in Ireland is framed through 700 very long years of complete oppression, including murder, dispossession of your land, outlawing of your religion, destruction of your language, having your houses torn down around your head, enforced man-made famine, and the essentially forced emigration of 50% of the population. Ireland had its population reduced by 50% on multiple occasions, once by Cromwell, who we think is the biggest shithill on the planet, and the <laughs> fucking Brits love his ass, right? Uh, and also during the famine and the subsequent uh, uh, civil war and revolution, the population of Ireland went from 8 million to 4 million almost overnight. And that's a lot of people down the drain. You know, many of us came to the States or to Canada or to New Zealand and Australia. Uh, but many of them died, too. And and I think in Ireland, there's a sense that nobody in the world understands what we've been through and doesn't care, which is true. But it is an animating principle. So somehow the leftist Irish government, which is wholly owned by the WEF and the EU right now, since Ireland joined the EU, regrettably, is all in on whatever the fashionable thing is. As I was saying, I'm sure maybe it was to you guys, I've said to other people, in my little village in Ireland, which has a population of about 500 during the winter, in the summer, it's it's quite touristy because it's near the Cliffs of Moher and it's near the Aran Island. I can see all these right out my dining room window. But we now have 900 Ukrainians in a village of 500. So the ethnic nature of the town has been changed completely by the imposition of these shirking layabout, no good sons of bitches, Ukrainians, who every time I see them on the street, I say, why don't you pick up a fucking rifle and go home and fight for your fucking country? Luckily, they don't speak English very well, so I'm still alive. 
Well, you know, at some at some point, because uh, you know, it's it's not it's not Ireland, of course, but there's a I forget the, the idiot's name. There's this schmuck in Scotland who's who's itching to to bring in like our own Nikki Haley, bring yeah. in one million Palestinians to freaking Scotland. So count yourself lucky that at least you have you have the Ukrainians who are not about to chop off your head. They're just lazy sons of bitches. But well, we do we do get others though. We get other quote refugees too. Sorry to interrupt. That's okay. Well, the one thing it's it's really what's really strange about this, and you mentioned uh, Michael that you know nobody understands Irish suffering like like the Irish, and I can understand that because I don't think anybody understands Jewish suffering like, quite like like Jews really. But it's what's really horrible is that all this this antipathy towards Israel is based on an absolute, utter, complete lie. There That's true. There is no Palestine. There's never been a Palestine. There is no Palestinian people. The land and the people historically from the very beginning have been and continue to be Jewish. So for them, you know, it's just it's it's madness. And of course, the biggest supporters of the PLO were were the IRA for many, many years. Well, all the terror groups was were aligned. There was when I first went to Rome, day one, I was in Rome back in the 80s. Uh, I, I went to a party at the American, uh, what's it called, American Academy of Rome. And there I ran into the one person in Italy I wanted to meet, which was a woman named Claire Sterling, who was a great writer about terrorism in the 80s. And she wrote about the terror network, which was the IRA, the Red Army faction in Germany, the Japanese, uh, whatever. They, they were all essentially leftist communist organizations. And that's why they cooperated each other they're united in one thing which is hatred for the west and the 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 irish have been very uh uh influenced by this notion that the freedom fighters i.e us a hundred years ago are the palestinians against the occupiers the jews who are the english even though i say yeah, but the English, but the Jews blew up the King David Hotel and killed a bunch of Brits. We should enjoy that part of it at least. But we don't. Yeah. I have to. I have to disagree with uh, with Sefton um, about uh-huh. yeah about the this this idea that Israel uh, is you know is traditionally the, the or Jews are traditionally the people mm. of Israel and that's why mm. they deserve this. They deserve it for no reason. No country deserves itself. No, I agree uh, totally with you, CBD, on this. Yeah, I must uh, say, you know, yeah. The, Israel took it. Um, India took it back from the British. Uh, the Jews took it back from the British. Uh, mm. Ireland failed. And, and Michael, I have great respect for you. I, you know, mm. I, I made fun of it earlier, but I really do have great respect for you. But your people did not take their country back. And, and, and from that perspective, it is a failure. Uh, mm. And Israel continues to succeed against all odds, but for one reason the strength of the Jewish people and the strength of the state of Israel. And the second that fails, they will lose their country. No, I and, couldn't agree more. Right. Mate, it might makes right. I would just disagree with one thing about the Ireland, Irish. We all, we always fought them. And eventually we did get our freedom. What we couldn't do was hold on to the goddamn thing for 50 years and couldn't wait to give it away to the Belgians of all people. You know, oh it's like, it's like the line from man from, you know, we, you, what you've gained the world, but for Wales, I mean, what? So this is a real problem. And in Ireland, I'm not very popular because I, I call this out constantly. But unlike our younger, stupid brothers, the Scots, they never fought back against the English. They gave up and during the United Kingdom, uh, you know, five or six hundred years ago. But the other point about Palestine, which I'll disagree with JJ a little bit, is 
again, having written these big history books on military history, uh, the the Jews were, uh, the second temple was destroyed by Titus in 70, as you know, and then after the failure of the Bar Kokhba revolt, the Jews were expelled from Judea, effect, effectively, and thus begins sort of the great European diaspora. Um, it, Palestine was a Roman province. It was called Palestine. The point is the Palestinians never had. I think that's the point that's that's better to be made. Is They have no call on it at all. They're just trying to take it back through using jujitsu of weakness uh, in, in order to force stronger countries than Israel to trade land for peace. But then again, the Israelis have done that on their own volition. Look at Gaza. How stupid was it to give Gaza back? Seriously. Well, that's a difficult question. Um, Ariel Sharon, who was no no wilting flower there, he no. he saw no way to keep to keep Gaza. It was it was a mess, no matter what. Um, I think he was probably hoping that Egypt would would sort of uh, envelop Gaza and make it part of that dysfunctional country. And and of course, the, the Egyptians are smarter than than the Israelis, and mm. they want no part of Gaza. It's um, funny, Gaza, Gaza gave Alexander the great problems. This Gaza thing has gone on forever, 2,000 years at least, more, two and a half thousand, uh, uh, two and a half millennia. You see Alexander fighting battles in Gaza. The Crusaders fought ba- battles in Gaza in Gaza in, in the early 12th century. It's been a, a crap hole forever, and yet it's we're still arguing about it, but I think Israel was unwise strategically to allow that cancer on its border and now unfortunately they've paid the price for it yes they have uh, but so gaza is the middle east version of afghanistan it seems yes it's it's, it's a place everybody <laughs> fights over nobody wants yeah that's the point <laughs> the question though remains you know what what is what can israel do what should israel do and you know is it now you know, a rock and a hard place. Are, are there, is it really Hobson's choices here of, you know, bad or worse uh, vis-a-vis drawing in China and Russia and whoever else into a potential uh, theater-wide, if not global, nuclear war with uh, with whatever one or more of the players are going to do? Well, you know, Joe Biden, your favorite president, JJ, just connected them again in this stupid speech. He, he spent, what, 15 minutes in Israel and it looked horrible on the plane, but I saw all those videos. Then he comes back and he starts to talk about Israel, starts yapping about his paymasters in Ukraine. Things are not going well for the good old U.S. of A. boys, I'm telling you. Oh, no. I agree. And, and you know, the, the, the idiocy uh, of funding Ukraine, it, it just makes me want to puke. The Listen, Russia is eventually going to succeed in Ukraine unless unless we expand the their border dispute uh Mm-hmm. into a european war and I, I and that is in no one's interest um and we've talked about this before the you know the, the the idea that that once russia takes eastern ukraine they're going to expand into what romania and yeah. and, and poland uh, you know something i'm not worried about the poles if the if if the ukraine if the ukrainian army can hold off the fucking russian army the mm-hmm. poles can do it with one hand tied behind their backs so that's simply not an issue and at this point, I am becoming more and more of a supporter of a quick Russian victory, because I think that is the only answer to what is going to become or has already become a a massive 
uh, boondoggle, uh, both militarily and financially, for the United States and, to a lesser extent, the Euro- the Europeans, who are, yeah, by the I way, agree. very, very happy that the United States is funding uh, that war because they sure, sure don't have the money and they don't want to spend it. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's kind of funny that, uh, you know, with all this talk of uh, constant talk about Israel must show restraint, Israel must show restraint. Ah. When, was last time, when was the last time anybody told the Ukrainians uh, to Zelensky, hey, man, you better show some restraint uh, against the Russians and like not mm. blow up the ships in the Black Sea or not send drones against the Kremlin or something like that. You know, yeah. speaking of Bi- speaking of Biden, by the way. What are those two like reverse Jew horns on his chin? I what saw that. that? I, I saw that, and I thought, "This wow, this guy is like uh, some horror movie." This face is melting right in front of the entire planet. It's disgusting. Plus, He's he was just, wearing. Plus, he was wearing a, a surplus uh, Black September tracksuit, which I uh, thought was rather appropriate considering where he came from. I mean, that's that right. Was he was wearing. He was wearing Black September tracksuit. <laughs> I, I knew that looked familiar. I said, "Where have I seen?" Oh yeah, in Steven Spielberg movie Munich. That's what I. That's where I saw that tracksuit before. Oh, Look, I, I I I mentioned this I think before. I first crossed paths with Putin in 1985, when he was the new resident in uh, East Germany, and I was spending a lot of time in East Germany at that point. And I'd been warned by my Stasi friends, with whom I also spent a lot of time, uh, that this was a very dangerous new. He wasn't really the chief of station there. He was really there to bust up American networks uh, to see who was the traitors in the East German state security office. He's a very clever guy. But the one thing he's trying to do is not he doesn't want to take over the Baltics. He doesn't want to take over even all of Ukraine. There's two things. One, he's trying to put together the country he watched shot out from underneath him in 1991. It includes some of its old historical elements. And Kiev is the city where the, the Russian people started. It's like Boston to us. If, if the Canadians somehow were holding Boston and we decided we wanted it back because it was the, 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 the center of the American Revolution, he's got very limited purposes. In, and he's older. He's, he's ill. I, I don't see this. Oh, if we don't stop him here. He'll, you know, the Russians will be dining in Paris at their favorite Nazi restaurants. That, that's that's not going to happen. I don't believe. I've just having watched him for so many years now. It's almost well, it's almost forty years. So you know, that's you, my, my two cents. It's it, what's interesting is I, I read. I forgot where I re- read it. It was a very interesting, and and I understand the history is that post the, the collapse of of uh, the Soviet Union in Eastern Europe, what mm-hmm. Vladimir Putin wanted, or at least in the very beginning. He wanted to become part of NATO. He wanted to become part of, yeah, supposedly become, you know, more open with the West and part of the West and so on and so forth. But it was it was us who said to hell with you. And they, we, we basically snubbed him. And then, of yeah, course, that's true. You know, we promised the Ukraines they're guaranteed their territorial integrity. They gave up their nukes. And of course, look what we did there. So what a cluster yeah. cluster fark on the, uh, as per usual from Foggy yeah. Bottom and the and the uh, and the eggheads who know better. No, it's terrible. And we also have pushed NATO right up to his borders, which the Russians are nothing if not paranoid. They they get very... Has anyone read War and Peace in this fucking administration? I mean, seriously. They don't seem to know a thing about the Russian soul. Now, you know, my my whole little shtick is you got to know 
the arts as well as the history in order to understand people. But just listen to Tchaikovsky's Eugene Onegin. Just start there. It'll take you two and a half hours. And you'll finally get an insight into these people. You can't poke the bear. And all we've decided to do is poke the bear. And that's all Biden does. He sits there and says, this cannot stand. This man must be removed from office. You have this insane old fart screaming shit into the microphone. He doesn't even know what he's saying anymore. So the question is, who's handling Biden? And who, qui bono, if we start World War III with the Russians, which is what we are damn set on doing right now? Who benefits? You know, it's like, you know, well, you said, well, wh why don't these, why don't they know from Eugene Onegin or why don't they know from Tolstoy and so on and so forth? These are the people, I forgot who it was, who Ben Rhodes. I mean, they're like these, these idiots who don't know jack yeah. shit. You know, right. it's like Tommy, Tommy Vitor, the, the fam mm. famous and said, the Declaration of Independence, that was like 100 years ago, man. No, that that was Ed Klein who said that. That's it. Ed, Ed Klein said the Constitution, well, that's like more than 100 years old. Yeah. God. I mean, so Tommy Vitor is bad, too. Yeah, sorry. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, these, they have, they're literally, they're, they're, it's these youngsters who literally all they study is wokeness and diversity and all this other crap and are yeah. crapping all over the Constitution. And with them, history, is it's always year zero. History begins now. We are the people we've been waiting for. So, That's of the, course, they're not going to know history. The new Soviet man. Well, when I when the, when the Trump administration started at one point, uh, a senior Trump official not to be named said to me, uh, well, I could put you in the State Department if you want. And I said, I'd rather just you shoot me right here. It's <laughs> completely alien territory. The State Department needs to be purged from top to bottom because it is a hardcore sort of gentleman lefty CIA Yale adjacent thing that never changes, no matter who you put in charge there. And there's no way to do it. You can't fire all these people because they're all civil service. Same with the CIA, which started as the Dulles brothers, basically, uh, idea of a three martini lunch and let's destabilize some country. That's got to go, too, which is why I hope that neither Trump nor Biden runs and we can try to start clean slating the, the country, although I'm fearful it won't happen. Yeah, I, I don't I don't see Donald Trump uh, not getting the nomination. But He'll getting be back in to the jail State Department, at that point, I yeah, think, he might that's... he might very well be in jail. But getting yeah. back to the State Department, it's very interesting what you said. Um, I I had uh, very limited experience with them, but uh, I had two college friends, uh, one of whom uh, spoke fluent French, uh, was amazingly resilient, and and could could find her feet in any situation. You know, she's the sort of woman you know you dump her in in Bulgaria uh, with three cents to her name, and and two days later she's. Um, you know, she's regaling people in fluent Bulgarian, you know, stories about her college days, right. uh, you know, at, at a at a grand dinner. Uh, and the other one was sort of a meek, uh, mousy sort of, uh, you know, typical, um, it, well, I, I shouldn't say ignorant, but I will say ignorant um, California woman. Mm -hmm. And uh, guess which one was rejected by the State Department and guess yeah. which one was hired? I mean, yeah. it, it, this is this goes back uh, and far, far, far beyond that. Uh, as, you know, Mr. Dulles was uh, was no great uh, diplomat. Um, and then, hell, you know, you go back to the uh, to World War One and our War Department, our State Department was awful. Um, World War Two or two, they were equally awful. So, you know, you look back on on our diplomatic history 
And we have had successes in spite of our professional diplomats. I simply cannot think of a significant diplomatic success on the part of the United States of America that was driven by the State Department. No, you won't, because what they prize is stability. They don't ever want to see the apple cart uh, upended. And I said to people near the end of the Cold War, the CIA and the KGB, the last thing they wanted was to see that Berlin Wall fell, which, by the way, I have several large pieces right here in my living room because I personally hacked them out of the damn thing. They were very upset because they had a modus vivendi. You knew where the line was. You know, we take one of yours, you take one. But but it doesn't get Chicago violent. It gets, you, then you trade them at the Gleenick in, in Berlin. And everybody's friends here, right? Like in, in Miller's Crossing. We're all friends here now, Dale. So that's how it worked. And, and the end of the Cold War seriously destabilized both those intelligence agencies to the point where KGB was effectively reorganized. Uh, and the CIA, which has never gotten anything right in its entire history, continues to fuck up. It's a horrible thing. And JFK was right. It should have been smashed right after the Cuban disaster and, you know, scattered to the four winds. But we still have it, and it's running the show right now. How does Brennan walk around, who's clearly the, a clown of epic proportions, or Clapper, who lies teeth off indirectly to Congress? These are bad guys, and yet they get rewarded. And they're all Ivy Leaguers, too, so they all stick together. That's another point. I made the point last week's column. Close the Ivy League down for eight years, at least, fumigated from top to bottom, and then start letting classes come in one year at a time to get rid of the institutional bias and all the money they have, which is just disgusting. And everything about them screams, maybe this is the Irish Catholic boy in me, so I... You know, I'm more of a FBI guy at least in the old days. Uh, this this class privilege is really strong in both the State Department and the CIA, and we're seeing what happens when you have this this nomenclatura, as JJ often uses the word. But it's true in Soviet Union in my day, nobody had a car. If you saw a car, that was a boss man driving that car. Well, being driven that car. You know, you talk about the the, um, the the need for the you know the one of yours, one of ours, and, and the old style of having everything stable and everything is sort of uh, you know uh, has a stasis about it. Now, all of a sudden, the drive in the State Department—I don't know when this started—but mm. is is Israel and America as the enemy? This was you know the other one, the other idiot on our side of forget Vladimir Putin. It was Madeleine Albright who also saw yeah. the. Uh, if, if you want to use the word Nakba, so to speak, how appropriate of, mm-hmm. of the war coming down as America's the lone superpower, superpower, she saw that as a disaster. And yeah. the same smart want to take Israel down a notch and want to replace Israel, the only progressive Western democracy in the entire region, pretty much with uh, or completely with Iran. They want Iran. They think Iran should be the counterbalance and Iran should be the, the power center of the Middle East, a country that sees that wants to institute Armageddon. Uh, this should be should be the stabilizing force. Uh, I don't yeah. know what, where, how, what happened there. Oh, my God. But that's well, part very, parcel of the of the State Department's virulent anti-Semitism. Mm, uh, yeah. You know, they yes, they want Iran to be a, um, a counterbalance to Israel's power in the Middle East. Um but they want that because they know that Iran is going to cause trouble for Israel. Then, and they don't like the Jews. And they don't like the Israelis. 
the idea that Iran is going to be a, a player on the global stage is is insanity. This is this is a, a psychotic death cult uh, driven by seventh century lunacy. You know, mm. waiting for the twelfth Imam you know, to create the, the conditions uh, for Armageddon. So that uh, so that their their paradise on Earth can can arrive is is just nuts, and they believe it. Well, one missile down the well at Jankaran will end the twelfth Imam, who's occluded in the in the well. So, it, it, had we, and I make this point in my forthcoming book, uh, had we ended this war against Islam the day after nine eleven, we would have vaporized Mecca and Jankaran. That that takes out the Shiites and the Sunnis simultaneously, and that would have been the end of it. Because, as as we've known from fighting Islamic armies since the eighth century, they are ferociously believing in their the rightness of their cause and that they cannot be defeated. And one of the reasons they're still angry about the First Crusade is the First Crusaders whooped the crap out of them. With a handful of guys, especially at Antioch, they beat them at Doraleum when Bohemond rallied the troops and clobbered them. They beat them during the siege of double siege of Antioch, and they beat them at Jerusalem, and that uh, caused them to question their faith. So by the time Saladin re- reestablished some Muslim control over the, especially over Jerusalem, uh, Richard III was able to come back and whoop him again too. And the only reason Richard didn't take Jerusalem because he had a lot of trouble back home in France. He never did get back to England, but most of his king, half of his kingdom lay in France and he was captured by the Duke of Austria on the way back and then died, uh, was shot by a kid of all things with a crossbow uh, in France, which killed him. But had Richard stayed during the Third Crusade, they would have restored much of the old Crusader kingdoms and it would have been a very different story. But that rattled the Muslims, and it's why Bin Laden keeps mentioning the Franks when he was alive. God rest his soul. He was always <laughs> talking about the Franks, which is the term the Muslims use for the Westerners, because the Franks were effectively the principal force during the First Crusade. It's amazing what you learn when you read some history. That's say. that's an excellent point because the and that is one of the dangers of Israel's catastrophic failure on on both military and intelligence fronts that they have re-energized uh islamic terrorism extremism whatever whatever you want to call it they have re-energized islam because they they have shown the islamic world that the jews can be beaten that israel can mm. be beaten and that is a very very dangerous attitude yeah absolutely you're absolutely is, right that just encourages them you're absolutely yep. right and that that is why it is vital for israel to destroy gaza um that sounds brutal, but unfortunately, I think that is that that is the only way that Israel Israel can return to some sort of of balance in, in the region. What I've learned from writing these military history books is there's only one way to win a war, and that's to win the fucking thing. Not to have a negotiated settlement, not to let it drag on forever. But Sherman was right. Kill as many of them as fast as you can and get it over with, because that is the kindest thing to do but your enemy must acknowledge that he is defeated you cannot leave a rump force there saying i'll get him next time if you do that the war will never ever be over and 
no war is over. No war is final, as I say in my new book. It, 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 you have to refight it again and again. But at least you can end it for a goodly period if you follow the Sherman theory of war. But this proportionate response shit, good Lord. You know, those of us who, who have no dog in, in the Israel fight from an ethnic or religious point of view, our attitude is get it over with. You can do it. You know you can do it. And what's the worst that's going to happen? The rest of the world isn't going to like you? Huh. It's a little late for that. You might as well just go for it. Well, that's one of the reasons why they haven't gone for it is that the the attitude in Israel over the last generation or so has shifted from that aggressive uh, offense to a a defensive posture. Yeah. You know, they they have they have created a, a, a paradise in the Middle East, and they want to protect it. They want to build fences. They want mm. to build walls to keep the to keep the savages out. Unfortunately, you can't. That doesn't work. And no. they, that was demonstrated very, very brutally uh, 10 days ago. Absolutely. Well, I'll give you, sorry, I'll just quick, quickly, I'll give you an example with Antioch, which was the big Christian city, you know, the second holiest city in Christendom at the time. Uh, it had these enormous walls and was beautifully situated for defense. And it was never sacked. It was only ever betrayed. Someone let them in through the gates. And that's how the Crusaders took it, too. Uh, a Christian, uh, Armenian Christian who had been forcibly converted to Islam hooked up with the crusaders under Beaumont and they made a deal and he let them in and they scaled the walls and then they killed everybody inside. And, and But that was how you did it. The other thing is to remember is people say, well, we can't do the blah, blah, blah. The rules of siege warfare right up until the Geneva Convention were very clear. If Caesar comes to your town and he says, open the gates, let me in, and you go, okay, then the Romans would come in and they would take the slaves they wanted and the women they wanted. And But you'd live. If you defied Caesar of the Romans, they had the right, once they took the city, to kill everything in it. And they did. Routinely, the Crusaders did it in Jerusalem. The Romans did it at uh, Alicia. That's just was the rules. But we've become too nice to play by the rules. But the Israelis ought to look up the rules, in my opinion. Yeah, I was going to say it's it's you know the the classic uh, line is that and the, and the and the you know the, the Muslims the, the crazies even parroted Israel and the Jews love life we 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 do not mm-hmm. you know we do not love life we love death and unfortunately Israel has now shifted the balance in being a little bit too preoccupied <clears throat> you know with preserving life obviously there's yeah. a lot of pressure from the outside to do that but also now they have like however many hundred hostages of theirs if they're still alive in Gaza. Yeah. So at a certain point, Michael, I agree with you. You have to say to hell with this crap. It is finish these people and every and life or trying to save innocent life has got to be a secondary, a secondary at best consideration. You well, have I to people this is where this is where Jewish idea, if it, if it saves one life, it's worth it, is very bad. It's a very bad thing because it doesn't allow you to defend yourself properly. And I don't know if that's exclusively a Jewish thing, but you often hear it. That well, if it only saves one life, it's worth it. Or uh, I've heard some yeah, verses from the Torah, you know, that uh, save one life is to save a million lives, and all that stuff. But sometimes, no, it isn't. And, and that's just maybe the Gentile in me speaking, but that's that's how I see it. And history, I think, is on my side. Oh, it, it absolutely is. is. Listen, yeah, ten, day, ten days ago, I wrote on Ace of Spades 
that Israel yeah. has to change their rules of engagement. No, I saw that. I thought that was very good. Yeah, they they what I said was that the lives of Israeli soldiers have to be considered more important than the lives of their enemies. And and they lost and as you just pointed out, they've lost sight of that. And until that changes, Israel isn't in a lot of trouble. There's one more thing that's really important too. The Israelis right now, this is ridiculous. This this sitzkrieg that's going on right now. They're ready to go. And an army can only be ready to go for about 48 hours before it starts to deteriorate. Uh, Alexander understood this against the Persians at Galgamela when he's up against Darius for the third and last time. He gets uh, Darius is dug in on the on the plane, and Alexander gets there and his Greeks that he scopes the whole thing, and he says, "I got this," and he goes to bed. And so the Persians were up all night waiting for the Greeks to attack them, even though a night raid was pretty unusual. But they were ready to start fighting at six. Alexander fucking sleeps till noon, right? And Parmenio comes in and says, yo, boss, we got to fight here. Eh, we got this. And he did, because the Persians had been in, in such a state of readiness, they were now in a state of non-readiness, and they collapsed when he pulled his same stunt he always did, which they never saw coming with the right wing of his cavalry coming, coming right, right across the middle, right at Darius. And he he destroyed an army that was twice his size, maybe three times his size. You can't keep guys under arms ready to go. You can't do it. And the, and the Israelis are trying to do that right now, and that's stupid. Very stupid. You know, the, the phrase that you said about if it saves just one life, it, it, it's worth doing. I always hear that, you know, I always hear a Democrat uh, talking about that when they talk about gun control or uh, mm. Obamacare or anything else. Yeah. We have to pass this thing because it'll save one life. Forget about killing 330 million of us. But, you know, this the other aspect of this is, you know, it, again, it goes back to the to knowing history and to understanding history. And I think Robert Spencer, who is always sounding the alarm bells about this because he's an expert on it. And then mm. today there was a great column by Daniel Greenfield in Front Page Mag when he says no, it's the Daniel's Obama. terrific. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. And he said, it's Islam. And it's like, for, for fuck's sake, this is going on now for 2,000 freaking years. It's you are never Islam. Right. Right. It's Islam. It, you're never going to have peace with these people. We are at war with them and have been at war with them constantly because history, as it is not year zero, it is not like little episodes because of our little you know, focused life with the way we live it. We, we can ignore the past and ignore the future maybe. But this is a continuum. History is a continuum and it's constantly happening. And when you quote uh, Bin Laden talking about the Franks, he's talking about us as if we're the Franks. And That's we, right. don't, we don't see it and we don't fight it that way. But God damn it, we have to do that. And yeah. we're not being allowed to do that because of the, you know, the progressives and the eggheads and the, the wokists and all the other idiots who who just don't see it and worse, don't want to see it. But we have to do it. And the Jews and the Israelis have to do this. You know, you know, when, when Overlord was happening is another one. You know, damn it, Eisenhower was going crazy, not just because of the weather, because he knew that if he kept pulling troops on and off the ships, it would screw up their readiness and screw up their morale. And he just went. Right. You know, but to do this, to be champing at the bit, to go into Gaza, it's now 10 days. If on day one you saw the heads of those be those beheaded babies, believe mm -hmm. me, every Israeli soldier would have killed everything that walked on two or crawled on two feet. And now that's exactly their job. Down. That's exactly their job. And these young men, they want to fight. This, this feminized world we live in is so despicable because the women think, well, there's always a way not to fight. No, sometimes there's a way to fight. And when you get a bunch of 18 to 25-year-old guys with a hard-on to go kill that motherfucker, they want to do it. And you have to let them 
do it under the control of their senior officers. You cannot make them say, tease them, and then say, oh, sorry, I didn't really mean it. Come back tomorrow. No, but, no but good. You, no but good. you see what's happening in Israel right now, and that is, this, that at least in on the West Bank, uh, the settlers, settlers, God, I'm using their vernacular, I apologize. <laughs> there you the Israelis, go. The Israelis living in Israel yeah. uh, oh, apparently have gone right. into gone into a couple of Palestinian villages and uh and shot a few people because mm-hmm. you know they see their they see their army sitting idle and they say well we need to do something and you know, more and more of that is going to happen if if Israel continues to sit on its hands and yeah. do nothing that's frontier justice let's face it. it that it will out it will out you can't control this site when once the genie's out of the bottle and after the atrocities uh perpetrated on the Israelis uh, and and other innocent idiots who were at that music festival, uh, you can't give them any quarter. You can't give them any understanding. You can't care about them. Diversity goes out the window. Just kill them. That's how you end the war. That's it. Only one way to do it. Just well, it kill sounds, them. It sounds brutal, but as I you know pointed out, the, uh, you know, Sh- Sherman was correct. The As do it as quickly and as brutally as possible and that is that is the most just and humane war to conduct right and when the south surrendered they they acknowledged they were beaten that was it they were over. they couldn't fight anymore even lee the most overrated general in america until oh douglas macarthur uh (laughs) had to admit they were finished and then and only then would you be magnanimous? Magnanimity only comes after total victory. That's Grant for you. Unconditional surrender, and then I'll think about being nice to you. But until then, there's no, well, would you be nice to us if we did this or if we, no, none of that stuff. You got to no, quit. So Daniel Pipes talks about that a lot, and I disagree with Daniel Pipes a lot, but his, mm-hmm. his point that Israel has not yet beaten the Palestinians is mm. is a valid one. It's I yeah. think it's a very very important one. Until they admit that they have been beaten by the Jews, beaten by the Israelis, and they've lost, they will continue to fight. And this and as I pointed out fifteen minutes ago, this they've been re-energized by this catastrophic failure of Israeli intelligence and military might. And it, as I said, it's going to be bad for a long time before it gets any better. And that is that is unfortunately Israel's failure. And both political and military, and it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see whether they can recover in the in the short term. Well, there's a good example of this uh, from British history in the Sudan when Gordon went down to theoretically to get the Egyptian Muslims out of the Sudan as the Mahdi was uh, besieging it, and then he decided he would stay and fight, and he was killed. And so the British public demanded. Uh, revenge for the killing of famous general Chinese Gordon, it is called. Uh, so they sent an expedition under Kitchener just before the First World War in the late 19th century. And they defeated the Mahdi's forces at Omdurman. They killed them so thoroughly, there was no trouble for a hundred years in that part of the world. Because the, the, the Arabs have to understand they've been defeated. And if they're defeated by the Jews, that is additional horrendous humiliation of it, it it flies in the face of everything they believe in their religion that the, the jew can't possibly defeat the forces of allah and israel needs to show them needs to explain who's boss that's simple as that 
But we can't yeah, because we've got we've got the Biden is sitting in the White House and and his crew hates Israel, even though many of them are ethnic Jews. But they don't care. I I don't get it. But that that's up to you guys to explain. I I can't explain it. What was that, Michael? What was that place? I know you you mentioned Mecca, but were you talking about that that stupid space rock that they worship? That uh... no, no no no, it's a well. It's a well at Jamdar. Jandram or something like that. I forgot it off the top of my head. It's in it's in Iran, and oh. it's allegedly down that well that the that the hidden imam is hidden, and part of the religious ceremonies of uh, of uh, Shiism is throwing messages to the imam down the well. This is I put this in one of my thrillers in my series of Devlin thrillers it takes place, and there is a scene at the at the well with people throwing messages down there. But they believe he's hidden until the apocalypse comes, in which case he will then come and reign over an entirely Islamic Ummah, and the Dar al-Harb will be gone, the world of war. But until then, if it's a tenant of their religion, they have to fight till they conquered every living thing. Well, you got to, you know, as I said, when someone says he wants to kill you, believe him. Is that what the Zamzam well, or am I confusing that with something else? No, it's called Jamdaran. J A N D A R A N. So if we toss, so if we toss like a one kiloton uh, suitcase nuke down there, you think that that then it, then the law they'll surrender and say it's over? Or... Well, it, it destroys <laughs> the fundamental belief of of. Look, I say this about the Catholics: is you can you can destroy Saint Peter's, and you still have Catholicism. That won't disappear because it's not about a place, whereas. In Mecca, you have the sacred rock in, inside the Kaaba. And one of my friends, what they should do is just conquer it, paint dice spots on it, and turn the whole place <laughs> into a casino and and, and whorehouse. Uh, then you know world, that was Trump world Mecca. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he was only half serious. But the the Shiites believe in this in this secluded imam, and he lives in the well. So if you destroy the well. As I say, you can destroy St. Peter's, Catholicism won't go away. And you can destroy the temple, and Judaism won't go away, as the Jews proved for 2,000 years. But Islam is very site-specific, too, and it's part of their theology. Well, that begs the question, should Israel do something about the Dome of the Rock? Well, that's Bakla a question, Mosque. isn't it? I mean, that's, that's a, you know, that's a, that's above my pay grade, as they say, and that opens up a whole quasi-apocalyptic can of worms because you've got an awful lot of Muslims who won't like that very yeah. much. Yeah, you know, uh, but they don't they don't like Israel anyway. My, I, I no. mean, if I were a devious uh, Israeli uh, senior general, I would uh, I'd build a couple dozen of those uh, Hamas rockets and launch them at Jerusalem and have them hit <laughs> the Dome of the Rock. Uh, <laughs> blow the shit imagine. out of it. Ups, look, listen, I, I, um, I've lost patience uh, with with the West's tolerance for just a little amount of death perpetrated on the West by Islam. Mm. I think it's pathetic. I think that we are weak. And until we change that, uh, nothing's going to change. I mean, listen, you know, you, you, I was just thinking about uh, um, the Afghanistan retreat. What was that? 18th. When Britain retreated out of Kabul, 1841, 1842, something like that. And there's that famous painting of of a single British soldier uh, who was the only one who survived 10 or 12,000 men retreating into India. That's the kind of stuff that that 
Islam remembers. And what we need to do is change that dynamic and change change that collective memory from those wonderful victories to catastrophic defeats. Yeah. We need to change every person in Islam that I'm sorry, we are we are weak in comparison to the West. We have to accommodate them. Well, as you know, I have no tolerance for tolerance. So I, I, the, the definition of the word tolerance in, in mechanics is the point at which the system catastrophically fails. So the airline wings have a certain tolerance. If you break that tolerance, the plane crashes. That's what happens. Tolerance is not a virtue, not at all. And yet we've made it a secular virtue, which is to me incomprehensible. Well, I mean, it it happens in in Congress every day. You know, this the idea of 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 tolerance, which you can extend to bipartisanship. No, I'm Bingo. sorry. If you have a if you have a if you have a, a powerful and coherent political philosophy, why are you giving in? That's I agree, 100. percent Bipartisanship is not a goal either. Neither no, is it's, diversity. It's, it's failure. No, but we're 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 we, we hamstring ourselves, and the whole West is now, you know, as I've observed. It's run by gay men and childless women. Let's face it; that's that's what you have in office uh, across uh, Europe. Certainly, our our tea shop in Ireland is gay, and he's also half Indian. So we don't even have a real Irishman running the country. And there was a picture the other day of him looking across the table at Rishi Sunak, and I captioned it: two Indians gloating over their conquest of the British Isles." But that's what it is. <laughs> That's how it looks. You know, listen, you may say, well, I'm a troglodyte, but I'm a, I'm a student of history and I try to understand how other people think, not just us. Amazing. about some domestic politics um so donald trump is enmeshed in in multiple uh criminal proceedings yeah and and one of his compatriots um pled guilty in a plea bargain in in the georgia um camp uh, voter tampering case right. and that that actually puzzled me and it disappointed me quite a bit hmm. and i'm yeah, curious what your thoughts are no no, go ahead, Jacob. No, I was just saying, you know, Sidney Powell, and uh, the, I mean, before we kind of get into the whole thing, it's just that I, just just to state plainly for the record, I do believe that the 2020 election was definitely stolen, and for mm-hmm. sure the, the shenanigans with the mail-in ballots alone, and all the uh, you know the kicking out of the observers, the flooding of the toilet, the stopping of the vote count, and all that stuff, uh, really was the main driver of that. Sidney Powell's contentions about the electronic stuff with Dominion and so on and so forth. Yeah, I don't know what happened with that. I would believe, I could tend to believe that any kind of an electronic system can totally be be, be completely compromised. We all know this. Whether she had any right. kind of had the crock and of proof of this is debatable. But um, it's just to me, it's kind of a, a shame and a distraction 
of what's going on. My initial belief was that they probably they probably threatened the shit out of her to shut up and go along and not to release this like physically. I'd like to think that anyway, God forbid. But then that's why she sort of you know bit the bullet and 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 then took the plea bargain. But um, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it distracts from the fact that number one, the election was stolen, and then all this other crap. It does kind of take away from from the problems at hand. But like I say. You can't campaign on the 2020 election, but still, it's it's a it's a crucial moment and probably the end of American history that should never be forgiven nor 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 forgotten. And how you reconcile mm. these things, I don't know. No, I agree. Except I would say this: I've written two columns about this. The election was stolen, fair and square. <laughs> that's that's true. And I wrote a column called "The System Is the Steal," and I wrote a column called "The Sting," which was yes. about. That they they used COVID to change the laws. Well, they didn't care whether they were legal or not legal uh, to encourage uh, ballot harvesting and drop boxes and all this shit. And they knew they only had to do it in six states, and it could be very targeted. And then Molly Ball wrote this column in Time Magazine about how they're boasting about how they fortified the election against Trump. My argument with Trump is. He did this country no service by continuing this fight. I know you got beat. I know they cheated. I know we was robbed. But at some point, you have to shut up and say, okay, we'll get him next time. In American politics, there's no no room for a prolonged literal insurrection against what is the norm in this country. And as sympathetic I am to the to the Trump case, which you've articulated in your book, JJ, and you know, every time I say something on, on Glenn Reynolds' site, I get one woman writes in and says, Michael Walsh thinks the 2020 election was totally above board. You know, the, my position gets misrepresented. I think for the good of the country, Trump should have said, okay, the way Nixon did in 60. Yeah, he knew he got job, but he said, I'm not going to fight it. Uh, and and we're, 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 we see the result of this. I was in studio with Bannon and sitting next to me was uh, Boris Epstein as well later on in the thing. And it was very early after the election and they kept saying, well, there's Arizona, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, guys, stipulate. Now what? They didn't have an answer. Trump's not going to be reinstated. This election is not going to be overturned. You're just talking down the rain barrel here. Yes, you got to prevent it from happening again, which we haven't, naturally. Okay, but, but uh, I'm, I'm sorry, let me, let me introduce Michael. Yeah. The, the, the problem is that Donald Trump hasn't given me a plan to combat what happened in 2020. No, not at all. Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll even accept him bitching and moaning about the steal in 2020. That's fine. Okay, keep that, uh, keep that in you know, front and center. But give me a plan. Tell me how you're going to be different. And I haven't heard that from him. And that's very, very upsetting to me. Well, all I've heard him say is what he's going to do that he could have done, but didn't before. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You had a chance. Honestly, you're 78 years old now. Enough with the Alta Cockers, if I can try out my Yiddish <laughs> on you guys. And you, you used it perfectly. Well, oh, good. I, good you know, I, uh, my Yiddish is actually pretty good. I've been, you know, I also speak German, so I can understand Yiddish too, which makes me a dangerous enemy. <laughs> However, uh, I'm luckily on your team when it comes to this. So it, we, you can't have these old farts running around, running the country, and enough already. 
DeSantis is in his 40s, I think, still. He's not 50 yet. That's the kind of where you, the sweet spot of American presidents. It's not the elderly. I mean, look at Woodrow Wilson. He was bad. And then once he had his stroke, he was horrendous. He was fed Just enough already. Enough already. That's, 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 let's move on. I don't think either one of them is going to be the candidate next year. And I say good. That's all I have really? to say about that. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. My, my, okay. But my, my, my devil's advocate would be is this, is that, I mean, True. I don't think Trump could, even if he were to 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 be the to the nominee, and even if he miraculously were to beat, well, it was probably going to be a massive cheat like we've never seen before. Right. Regardless, even if he were to be the president, even anybody were to be the president, what could they possibly do to overturn the institutional and probably you know state level machinations that are are probably cemented in place forever? Um, I think we've you mentioned you know just you know po- politics, and I, I think we're. The country, we're no longer the country that we were. So it's just no, we're not. So it's just like you know, yeah, Trump's being a knucklehead, and I, I do tend to agree with you on many of these points. But regardless of who it is, I mean, dang, I mean, if they can install John Fetterman's lump uh, yeah. and a ham sandwich to be the freaking you know whatever of, of Pennsylvania, regardless of what you thought about Mehmet Oz or whoever. I mean, it's just it, it, and it's beyond me about you know where we are, and that speaks to the, as we said before, which which redounds onto the the stupidity of the of the so called eggheads and elites of the State Department. The rest of the you know one third of the country is as stupid, or, or at least as you know, more stupid than the people that are that are in these positions, and so yeah, and well, these are the people that cast votes. People have said to me, oh well, you know, I have belief in the silent majority. Let me give you this news flash: the silent majority is gone. That was Nixon. In seventies, that's a half a century ago. There isn't a big, fat, old-fashioned white American silent majority anymore. The demographics of the country have changed visibly, and 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 they know it. Second of all, you can't fire anybody in the government. They're all protected by civil service, which, by the way, was a Republican bad idea, goo goo idea from the late nineteenth century, and. You, you can only play around the edges. It's like the budget. Half, ninety percent of the budget is spoken for already. You can't cut it. You can, but you can't. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like like our tea shock in Ireland. Mr. Leo Varadkar says, "Well, we have to import these re- these refugees because it's the law." Well, whose law is it, buddy? It's some bullshit law you treaty you sign that you can abrogate if you want to. But it's not God's law. It's not Moses didn't bring it down from the mountain, for Christ's sake. It's just a law that you choose to observe. We need to be able to fire the civil service people, clean house, start over. But is that going to happen? No, it's not. Well, I mean, if we're going to honor all laws, let's go back to slavery. Yeah, well, there's, hey, the you Supreme know. Court ruled that was perfectly okay. Yeah, it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> to hell with reparations. Uh, I, I, need, yeah. uh, you know, I, I need somebody to, you know, to, to make my uh, to make my cream of wheat and my pancakes. And listen, uh, well, segregated segregated schools. That's fine. That was it used to be law. What's wrong with that? That was the law under Plessy yeah. Ferguson. Yeah. Uh, you know, the left the left is very much the Brezhnev doctrine. Once we conquer something, it stays ours forever. The, the Muslims have the same attitude. Once it's conquered, it stays ours forever. So, so you were mentioning the Dome of the Rock a while back. Uh, the Crusaders stabled their horses in it huh. to sh- to show their contempt for Islam. 
the, the Templars took it over because they had started as the Knights of the Holy Sepulchre. And they, they, the Knights of the Templar Knights at their peak in the, in the 12th century uh, used it as a stable. And, and, and the Muslims never forgot that. that. It rankles them to this day that a holy site has been desecrated. Meanwhile, I say things like, what about Constantinople and the Hagia Sophia guys? But nobody seems to care. Exactly. That was the second holiest church in Christendom, only after St. Peter, and maybe even holier, since it was actually founded by Constantine, the Roman emperor that effectively legalized Christianity and made it the, the, the religion of the empire in the, in the, in the mid-fourth century. Well, the, the, but, the desecration of, of both the Jewish and Christian um, tombs and churches and synagogues all, yeah. all throughout the Middle East, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's what they do. First thing they do when they take over a town, yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's go shit in the synagogue or, or well, let's burn down the church. But that's according to their faith, which is that there can only be yeah. one yeah. religion, which is the revealed final revelation of Allah to Muhammad. And that's it. There's no more prophets after that. There's no nobody. They're perfectly kind to Jesus, for example, they there's more about Mary in the Quran, the Blessed Virgin Mary, than there is in the in the Christian New Testament by far, by far, not close. They're honored as prophets, but they've been superseded and supplanted by the final prophet, Muhammad. So that's what you're dealing with here. Yeah. So they have to destroy that, the, the churches and the Jewish synagogues and desecrate the, the graveyards. It's, it's, a, it's an imperative religious command. So you I'm going to put you on. I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, Michael. You mentioned earlier that you don't think that Donald Trump and Joe Biden are going to be the nominees. No. So that begs the question: Who are going to be the nominees? I don't have the slightest idea. <laughs> I think I think it's it's open. I think you show Trump's shown his true colors by directing all of his fire at DeSantis. He obviously sees DeSantis as the most uh, potent challenger. And I've, I've been a DeSantis guy since I met him when he was a congressman. I thought he was very good, very capable. He showed that in his governorship of Florida. Uh, he may not be the greatest candidate in the world. If his, can his campaign got off to a very feminized start, he's not a warm and fuzzy guy. He's a little tough guy who, who is, has got real command, masculine command power, but he's been hiding it. Now, what he just did in Israel is superb. He pants Biden. By oh, my God. It was wonderful. Yeah, oh, it's just yeah. great. And he's picking up Americans in Greece that the that the administration has stranded there. They said, well, we'll get you out of Israel or Gaza, but then you got to pay your way back from wherever we, Rammstein or whatever base we take you to. And Ron just said, no, get on the plane. It's free. Come home. We'll take you to Florida or wherever else you want to go. That's leadership. He doesn't have to talk. The trouble is you have to talk to become president. And that's you know, we got Obama. What one slick snake oil salesman ought to have been enough, but of course it won't be. I just don't see. I don't think Biden's sentient anymore, and, and they can't run him. They know he's awful, and I think Trump is just—he's got too many legal problems. And you know, I, again, I stipulate: was the election stolen? It was certainly as hinky as all get out. But the other problem with Trump is: remember, he's never agreed to an election. Even in 2016, they said, "Would you abide by the?" Well, maybe we'll take a look at it. I might sue. Then he won, so he didn't have to. But he's always played it a little too cagey on it as far as an excuse for losing. 
And now he's done nothing but lose. He's he's his own worst nightmare, which is he's a loser. And I don't think we need a loser as president. To to you know, just a couple couple of things. Number one is you know we, we don't know who's going to be running, but right now whether we like it or not, it's and whatever you think of polls. Mm. Supposedly, RFK Jr. as an independent is rising. Mm. Yeah. And and the the calculus was that you know he'll do more damage. It used to be well he'll he'll take away votes from the Democrats, but it seems to be people are saying. Uh, it looks like he may be taking away votes from whether it's Trump or whoever is going to be the Republican. But of course, it's 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 too early to see you know what'll happen on on that score. Um, yeah. Going going back to, to to Ron DeSantis for a second and and his amazing uh, maneuver with with the get, getting Americans out of the the uh, the war zone there, it just makes when I think about it, my blood just absolutely freaking boils. This country is not going to fly American citizens out from there. And yet we have an open border where these people are pouring right. in and we're giving them free medical care, free housing, free this, free that to the tune of billions of dollars. And for like a few freaking goddamn airplanes, you can't fly people for maybe a, what's it going to cost? A couple of million bucks to fly mm. them out on U.S. and even on U.S. on a C-130. Doesn't have to yeah. be comfortable. Doesn't have to be first class. You mother effing bastards. I can't. That is just so damn blood boiling. One well, other I'll point. Just, so, yeah, circling yeah. back just one second. When you, when you mentioned about, you know, when Islam is Islam, it's Islam forever. If we didn't know this when they blew up the giant Buddhas in Afghanistan 21 yes. years ago. There you go. go I, 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 I cited that as an example of what was to come. And, and of course, nobody paid any attention to me. But as to, as to your point about the government does one thing and does another thing to its own people, same thing in Ireland. The, these Ukrainians who come in get, I don't know, 300 bucks a week. They get free hotel. They get food allowance. They get transport allowance. All expenses paid trip to Ireland plus 300 bucks a week to spend. And, and you see it. They're all wearing new clothes, new expensive running shoes. They have cars. And now they're going back to the Ukraine. Some of them are renting out their own homes on Airbnb they, <laughs> while, they, while they sit in Ireland and collect our money. Meanwhile, the native Irish, because there's always been a housing problem. Ireland doesn't kind of a it's kind of a socialist half-ass country and it doesn't work. But the native Irish get fuck all, as we say in Ireland. And the refugees and the uh, uh, asylum seekers, you know, who are all from Central Africa and, and Afghanistan, nothing's too good for them. And then I say, well, look who's the Taoiseach, who's the, who's the, the prime minister? A gay happening. They, they speak by their actions. They, their words don't mean anything. They tell you who they are. What do you think this means, JJ? They don't care about America. But the, you, you, can, you, you take what you just described, and extrapolate it to the entire West, with the with the exception of Poland and a few other uh, Eastern and European, Hungary. Yeah, Hungary. Yeah. Um, and that's that is the you, you just described the downfall of the West. And yes. uh, Unfortunately, I don't see uh, I don't see any change. Um, even even ten days ago, that didn't that didn't force a sea change in the attitude of the West toward these these. Seventh century savages, or these, you know, Stone Age uh, savages coming out of uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, mm. um, and not, you know, I, I I say that, and it sounds racist and terrible, but it is reality. And um, until we we treat our countries as something special, as something important, 
we are going to continue to fail and we are going to continue to to descend into the the sewer that is most of the world well that's critical theory for you right there cb that that's all critical theory is is it's designed to tear down the west that's all it is and it's doing a very very good job oh they're they're wonderful listen we're we're running very very late but um Mm. um michael you teased your new book and i would like to hear Mm. a little bit more about it before we okay uh, it's it's called uh, a rage to live a time to die so a rage to live title has been used before uh uh what's his name the american uh writer used it as uh, a novel title uh it was used as the title of a biography of sir richard burton the explorer and his wife uh john o'hara wrote a novel called the but i always liked it and then i combined it with the time to die meaning it's about eight pivotal battles in history where the world changed instantaneously from that battle on one of them is the Milvian bridge where constantine defeated uh the other his rival for the western emperor ship and then eventually took over the emperorship of the entire roman empire but turned to christian so it went from pagan to christian uh alexander dagamela where he destroyed the persian empire because he slept in because he knew he had it in the bag just these battles that really changed the world and but rather than write about just the battles and troop movements and all that i've written long pieces 20 30 000 word essays on each one setting them up, I did Napoleon at Austerlitz, which is Napoleon's masterpiece. And it, it announces the coming of the artist as hero. Napoleon really is Byron or Franz Liszt before they were, before they were born or sentient. So you see the 19th century suddenly changes right at the beginning of the 19th century with this magnificent black swan called Napoleon. Uh, uh, Nimitz at Midway, where you know, four months, five months after Pearl Harbor, we ended the war on the Pacific. We ended the power of the Japanese Imperial Navy in one day. So sometimes battles matter and, and, and tremendous consequences come from them. So that's that's what it's that's what it is. Rachel live time to die. And as soon as I get the manuscript back from my editor, I'll do all the corrections and changes that uh, he's suggested and we'll get another production pipeline for next year. So, are, so please tell me you're not leaving out my favorite uh, admiral of all time, Lord Nelson and Trafalgar. Uh, Nelson, I, I talk about Nelson in the Napoleon chapter to someone, but I don't do naval battles. And Midway was an exception, but only because it wasn't a naval battle. It was a battle of uh, airplanes. Yeah. The, okay. the, that, that's the, good the fleets never really even sighted each other uh, like at, like at the Coral Sea. Yeah. So I, I stuck to land battles, but I love Nelson. And Trafalgar was a tremendous beating, and Napoleon didn't understand sea power. And that's why he never was able to invade Great Britain and why eventually he decides horrendously to invade uh, Russia in 1812. So, yeah, Just like, uh, a very famous, uh, like a very famous house painter that we uh, we all know some went on. Well, he, you know, it's not, <laughs> like he didn't, he, it's not like he didn't have the roadmap sitting there right in front of him, as many of his generals described, but he thought he knew better, so... There it is. Well, Michael uh, yeah. Walsh, we look forward to, and I really look forward to, to to reading this book. And my only invocation and prayer is that you have to stop the presses because uh, hopefully the Israeli army will will add to that list and and do battle and and uh, go to battle and go to war and win an incredible victory that will have a sea change for for generations to come. I'm hopefully well, I'm not being a cockeyed optimist, but I am rooting for I am rooting for you guys to win this. You have to win it. 
It's an existential. If never again means anything, it means never again. That's all there is to it. That's it. It's not, there's nothing really to discuss, is there? No. You do what you have to do to stay alive. Indeed. Gentlemen, we have come to, sadly, the end, and I can go on for forever, but I know, Michael, your, your family is in town. So I've I think got I'd... little children pulling at my, my, my uh, coattails here. Yes. You, have the little, you have the little Irish children at you that, that demand uh, that you. Well, they have darling <laughs> Dublin accents and everything. Yeah. Wonderful. Listen, Michael Walsh, you are a, a gentleman, a scholar, and I'm proud to call you now a, a good friend of ours. So for thank, for thank you guys. You are so welcome. For CBD and Michael Walsh and JJ Septon, thank you so much. Please, thank you so much also for hitting our tip jar. It, uh, it helps us out more than you know. And we look forward to seeing you again uh, next week uh, with a new one. Thanks for listening, folks.